This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are back. The ratchet is all the way turned up. Thank you for joining us here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm I'm here with Mr. Ratchet himself, Stanley with the blazer. Fritz. You say no ratchet music, Stanley Fritz can't. This is actually my ratchet unleasher. Once it's, I've had this in the sip of Hennessy, the ratchet comes out of my I spirit. Got here, I, I was it, like, I Stanley, it. you show me up right now. I didn't wear the jacket, and I'm you wear the jacket. And we have also Alyssa Fuchs here with the legal knowledge, and Jackie Cohen, who's actually my favorite. Like, you're just... So likable, agreeable, Jackie. Oh I just want to just make, give I you a compliment you. because Stanley is always beating up on you unfairly. I, okay? I do not hit women. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, okay, My I don't name know. Is if not Chris Brown. All right, um, I don't know if that's true or not. But what? speaking of hitting on people, right? Wait, that's actually wait, a great whoa. segue. What? That, no, okay, so what is, it's, it's not true. Okay, let's. Okay, fine. Disclaimer: I, I do not know Stanley to be a domestic abuser. Happy? What is, yo? <laughs> all right, I'm just. Like, oh, all over just again. Escalated real quick. It really did. Marilyn beats me. How you think? I, I used to be light skinned She beat me black and black. I can't with you, Stanley. All right, guys. So uh, we are moving on right into again this scathing Chicago Police Department support. Right, we're going to talk about excessive force. We're going to talk about police reform, police brutality, and everything that's going on in Chicago. But before we do, I need to tell you guys about Pierre Lowry. Now, he was a 16-year-old African-American teenager who was fatally shot and killed by a Chicago police officer last week, a few days ago. One eyewitness says he was on the run. He was trying to jump over a fence, and that's where she saw the cops shoot him. He died from a bullet to his chest. Now, um, and she also told the Chicago uh, Tribune, and I quote, that the cops shot him in the air, quote, and that his pants leg got caught on the fence and he hit the ground. If he hadn't gotten shot, he would have cleared the fence, said this unidentified woman, this witness, right? On the other hand, police insist that Pierre fled from a car, then pointed a gun at them. They also said he was a documented gang member. Now, two sides of the story. I will say this. There are pictures online. Well, of course, they put pictures of lo- online, and they're showing in the media, they're showing this picture online of him with a, a tattoo on his neck that mm-hmm. does refer to a gang. And in one picture, they are showing this picture of him holding a gun. Look, but it's still the, the saying still goes. Innocent unless proven guilty. No one deserves to die, especially if they're running, if they're fleeing. I, I agree with that. Um, I will just to give you the legal standard, um, and and this is this is what the legal standard is it's called the fleeing felon rule. Uh, there can be stricter standards state to state, but at a national level, uh, the law says that the police can, in fact, use deadly force to shoot at somebody who is fleeing, but they have to have evidence that the person is actually armed and dangerous. Or they have to have evidence that the person committed a violent felony. Otherwise, you are not allowed to shoot somebody that's fleeing. Now, we could have a larger debate about whether you should ever be able to shoot somebody who is fleeing. But at least the legal standard um, constitutionally for fleeing felons is it has to be a felony, uh, which is why the Walter Scott situation was so tragic because he was wanted for child support, not for a felony. And two, like I said, and or it has to be somebody who is known, armed and dangerous. Being a known gang member is not one of the qualifications. You forgot the Negro clause. If black, oh, right, 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 then right. you shoot. Well, well, I will say this. A weapon was recovered on the scene. Police are saying that it was his. Did but they there is, his nose too? They may have. I don't know. It was not made immediately clear whom the weapon belonged to. We do know, you know, at the end of the day, 
police are people. They do lie. They do fear for their lives. We don't know what happened. Obviously, this needs to go to trial. Um, so soon as this happened, people in Chicago, they hit the streets, of course. There were hundreds of people pouring out last Monday, last Tuesday, about this death of this 16-year-old African-American boy. But they weren't just mad about his death. There has been, I mean, if you think about what's been going on in Chicago, we also had not that long ago Laquan McDonald, who was shot and killed at the end of 2014. But that video didn't come out until a a year later. And it took a journalist fighting to get access to that. So, I mean, those are just two examples of larger systematic ills that are being felt by the people in Chicago and these underprivileged black and brown communities each and every day. And this is something that they feel. It's something they experience. It's something that they see every day. But to further legitimize what they've been feeling was this scathing report um, that came out and was released by a mayoral task force that was um, appointed by Mayor Rahman Emanuel after the Laquan McDonald fiasco. And this is basically um, what the report says. The report says that there was a disproportionate number of African Americans who have been shot and stopped by police in recent years. So out of 404 people who were shot by police between 2008 and 2015, 54, no, 55 were Hispanic, 33 were white, one were Asian. Guess how many were black? 404. 299. Close, Alyssa. Close. You were close. <laughs> <I was laughs> close like enough. No, no, no. The 404 number I gave came from, uh, out of the seven, it's 404 is the total number of yes. people shot. I oh. apologize. Yeah. So, as Selena points out, 74% of those people between 2008 and 2015 were black or brown. Mm. Right. And, and 74%. And that's just within the last eight years. 72%. Uh, people stopped by Chicago police in 2014 were also black, while 17% were Hispanic. Now, if you're thinking, well, you know, what's the racial demographic? How was that? How, how does that come up? Like, how does that come into play? It's basically evenly split in Chicago. 31.7% of the population in Chicago is white. 32.9% are black and 28.9% are Hispanic. So there is no reason why an overwhelming amount of people being killed in Chicago should just be one racial group. Like if these cops are trigger happy, they're only shooting and targeting one type of person. And it's happening over and over again. And it's been happening for decades and years. Um, just to, just to keep, continue what this report said, there's also a quote um, that I want to read. So this quote says, and this is from the, the people who were on the task force. They said that the police have no regard for the sanctity of life when it comes to people of color, end quote. And they also talk about how they have alienated blacks and Hispanics with the use of force. And they also talk about this longstanding code of silence where it's like you see nothing, you hear nothing. Right. And we actually saw that. Um, during the Walter Scott shooting, Alyssa brought that up a few minutes ago in South Carolina. After he was shot eight times in the back, you saw other police officers like come over and they're just like talking and like it's just a casual day. Like I would have been 100% outraged. Like how did this happen? He's faced sure. on the ground, but it's like you know you, you see people, you see the police officers defending their their colleagues all the time. No, and to add to that, and I know we're going to get into this a little more in detail later on in the segment about uh, the culture in the courts, but, um, you know, there's this great article in the New York Times this week, a guy who used to be the Cook County clerk, and he said that he interviewed 27 judges um, about police perjury, and that goes to your point of um, covering things up, and he said that, uh, and he interviewed prosecutors, and basically what he says is that most of these 
people that he interviewed willingly admitted that police perjury was part of the culture of the court system. So it goes beyond just the police covering stuff up on the street within the police department. It goes further into them continuing that cover up and lying in the court system, in legal proceedings, when it really matters when people's life and liberty is on the line. True. So I want to get you guys' reaction to this report. I just gave some of the um, most alarming statistics about what's been going on. And if you guys want to call in, chime in. The number is 212-650-6903. You can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Stanley, reaction to the report. Well, there's nothing really surprising about it. This is the culture of the police. Whether it's Chicago, New York, Alabama, Mississippi, anywhere, this is the culture of the police. If you ever heard a police officer talk who maybe you have a relationship with, a lot of them associate people of color as freaking animals. They're freaking savages. I had one friend of mine who said to me, I don't know why you stupid hippies want to protect people from East New York. They're nothing but thugs and animals, and I like putting my boot in their back. And I said, oh, I'm from East New York. Mm. And he goes, oh, you're one of the good ones. <gasps> And this, this is, should not be your friend. This is a black person. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Th- this, and he was not like this before he joined the NYPD. Mm. This is a social construct. And what I would say to you, and people would be very uneasy about this, is you can't just go there and hire some new people and restructure. You have to blow up the entire system because at its very base, it's racist. Right. right. Um, reaction to the report? Yeah, I mean, I think exactly what you said, Stanley, that this is something that people know and are living with. But it's sort of like, I think the comparison you can make is like, when you, you know, like, you know something's wrong, right? And you have a gut feeling, like, if you're in a relationship and you know your partner's doing something wrong and you feel crazy because you know that there's something bad happening, but you can't prove it. You're and, you're lo- and then you go, like, insane because you're looking for it. And it's like, there's just this, like, unsettling factor where you know that this is happening, but nobody believes you. You can't really prove it. Mm-hmm. With statistical evidence that this is happening. I mean, it's something that we all know, but now we can... But even with the statistical it, evidence, we'll always have people on the other side, the apologists that will come out and say, oh, well, the stats are skewed because, you know, of this and that. And it depends on the questions you asked. And, 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 you know, and like, and the response to that should be like, no, the stats aren't skewed. Like people aren't conducting these yeah. studies in order to prove that, you know, police are bad people. Like right, people right. are conducting these studies to show that there's a systemic racial bias within right. policing that we need to first recognize before we can figure out how to fix. If we keep going around pretending like it's not happening, then we can't fix a problem. No, that's very true. And the the makeup of the task force was actually very diverse. That should be noted. I want to ask a question. Um, In relation to the violence going on in Chicago, I'm sure some people are going to say, well, what about the violence in Chicago? Maybe the police's reaction has been because of such high levels of violence we've seen in 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 that city. Right, so so was that... Was yeah, that's question? my question. Like, My question is, like, has there been pushback about that? And, like, if so, like, what has been the response to it? Well, that is a good question because police have been trying to fight back and they report that gun and homicide arrests are up. Good point. Just in January, there were 51 killings alone. Wow. That made it the deadliest month on record wow. in the last 16 years. Um and that's fine, but that doesn't give the police the right to conduct unlawful stops and searches and Correct. seizures. Like, we right. have legal standards. One of those comes from a case called Terry versus Ohio. It says that the police need to have reasonable suspicion if they want to stop you, that you may be committing a crime or maybe about to commit a crime. And they actually have to have a second level of reasonable suspicion that you may possess a weapon if they want to search you. The problem is they don't follow these legal standards. Right. So that may be true. Crime may be high and there may be a need 
need for higher police stops in certain neighborhoods. But the fact is, you see, these stops still need to be justified by articulable facts and circumstances for why they're stopping. And that's the problem. A lot of times the police can stay all they want that these are high crime neighborhoods, but they still can't articulate why you stopped, you know, Johnny Blue as he was going to the bodega to buy a can of soda. Right. And I think to piggyback off of that, no one's arguing against good policing. Right. And we see plenty of examples of good policing in these major cities. However, it tends to not be in black and brown communities. Right. Or when we see officers be prosecuted, they tend to not be white officers. So we're just asking for equal treatment um, across the board. You know, the same communities deserve the same types of protection and treatment. I don't think we'll ever get that. Not while we have the system here. I'll tell you that right now. Um, This is. It's not just the officers. You can have people who come in there right. with good intentions. It's the culture. You have to yeah. blow up the entire thing. Right. right. And I just wanted to add one more thing about the culture and about what you said about how your friend who's an officer who's black. When you do stand up and you do say, I've had enough of this and we're seeing this right now in New York and I'm not going to get into a lot of the details just because of my job and about certain things that I can say and can't say. But you literally have six to ten police officers who are of, of color right. suing the department claiming that there is quotas right. and yeah. then you have all these other officers saying that there's not and then you know now you are literally having a whole bunch of police officers finally breaking the ranks mm-hmm. to, to say this isn't right this is not why I signed up to be a police officer yeah. I'm not just going to go stop somebody because it's a high crime neighborhood yeah. and because of the color of their skin I'm going to stop I'm not going to hide down the stairs to get somebody jumping a turnstile I'm going to stand at the turnstile to prevent the crime because guess what? That's my job. My job is to prevent crime before it happens, not to just get an arrest for the sake of getting one. No, you're absolutely right. And yesterday I had the privilege of speaking to a public defender. Um, My age, she was a young, like, you know, 20-something black black girl, black woman, and she was just telling me that it takes up so much time, energy, and resources when she has to go defend someone who was arrested for jumping the turnstile. Like, I have, like, that happened to, like, that happened to my father. Like, I had to bail him out. Oh, crime of when poverty. He, when he, yeah, like, I got that. For using and, a school metro car right. during their vacation. Or, or, or people who take up more than one seat on the subway, you know, and she's like, it's, it's just happening over and over again, and it's not happening in certain classes, in certain districts, sure. it's only happening in certain communities where people are so disenfranchised, it becomes the norm. It's, it's It becomes a cycle, a way of life where you're constantly arrested this year and then next year, and you don't really know your your rights. Yeah. So, and, and here's what I want to, I don't want to take any blame away from the crooked officers, but I do want to say, we really need to put our proverbial foot on the neck of these elected officials, because the fact that a matter of remains is there are high levels of poverty, lack of education and resources. Like I said before, where terrorism doesn't just pop up, crime in neighborhoods doesn't just pop up. People having to jump turnstiles doesn't just happen. There's a reason this is happening. And it's easier to put all the blame on the police when we're not talking about how we even got to this point. We really need to Rahm Emanuel. Like, I forgot the name of the governor in in, um, Illinois, but like there's a serious problem with our elected officials who have no backbone. No, that's that's absolutely true. And like you said, just to bring it back to Chicago, I want to bring it back to what Alyssa was mentioning before. Um, and I read that New York Times article that you referenced. Um, there's something that the report does not say, and it's the fact that there are a number of racist practices that extend also into criminal courts. And indeed, there's a foundation. This is what this article talks about. It talks about this foundation um, of racism that enters into the court system where you have many judges and prosecutors who are just as dirty 
dirty, when it comes to defending um, police officers, and when it comes to just, you know, not even giving the people who may have offended or may not the benefit of any doubt. It's like automatically they're getting, they're, they're automatically getting locked away. And I wanted to ask Alyssa, because we know as a civil rights attorney, you deal all the time with the system. You're in the courts and you see this firsthandedly. Do you believe that the court system has been infiltrated by racism? Yeah, I do. I do. I definitely do. And I think that depends on where you are. Um, and it also depends on who you're dealing with. But I'll give you a perfect example of this. I have a friend whose name I'm not going to mention, um, who is black, who grew up in Brooklyn. And he is a DA in, uh, you're not a DA, and he's a DA in Brooklyn. And he said, you know, when he, now he works in a higher level unit prosecuting, um, you know, more serious crimes, uh, not low level street type crimes. But he said when he did work in those lower units, a lot of times when he would see um, the police bring in, or he would have to be the prosecutor at an arraignment, and he would see somebody come in who was a person of color for jumping a turnstile or possession of a little bit of marijuana or just some, you know, a, a petty theft of, of uh, I don't know, a tube of toothpaste or a toothbrush from somewhere. He said a lot of times he's like, I would give those people conditional discharges. I would give those people ACDs, which is stay out of trouble for six months and your case gets dismissed and sealed. He goes, because I'm from Brooklyn. I understand the circumstances of these people. I understand a lot of times those are crimes of poverty and that the government isn't doing anything to lift people out of poverty. So he said, so I took it upon myself as somebody who was a prosecutor who had the discretion to say, you know what? I'm not going to ruin your life over this. She, he goes, I saw some of my colleagues that were white that grew up on Long Island or in Westchester, no offense to Jackie or to me, that are not yeah. familiar with the culture of Brooklyn, who do not understand the circumstances yeah. that these people come from, that were looking to prosecute these people and put them in jail simply because they took this hard line like, you do it, you do the crime, you do the time, you know, and they didn't understand the circumstances. So, right. I mean, that's just one example, and I'm not going to say right. that that's like pervasive, but that's just one example about how you have some prosecutors that are from here that get it and they're willing to make the system more, you know, go a little bit easier on people because they understand their circumstances. And then you have all these other people that went to law school that have these high ideals about crime and violence. And like, we have to stop people from committing crimes. And they're like, yeah, let's lock this guy up for 15 days for stealing a Snickers bar because he was hungry. And like, that's right. the kind of culture we need to change also. No, no, you're absolutely right. Before we go on break, I just wanted to mention that I have a friend who did wind up in a predicament where someone, let's say that he got into a fight he stabbed someone and that person died from a wound. Like it was like a, a absurd situation, but that person wound up dying. You know, now he's on trial and it's like, but he, he was like, but you have to understand, I was on my stoop and they jumped me. It was like a gang and I was just happened to be just standing there. And I'm like, these are the circumstances that people are living in. I mean, we just saw the movie Chirac and that is just a play on what's really gone, going on in these communities in Chicago where it's like a war zone and mm -hmm. it's like either lay down or get shut down. It's And you have to develop that whole persona in order to survive. Um, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, but we will continue this conversation about what's going on with corruption racism and Chicago right here on let your voice be heard I drive a sports car just to Guys, like all of them diamond rings. Would you kill for? Okay, let's Maybe just stop we'll just it there. Roll. All right, we're gonna stop it there before we say all sixteen bars of that verse. All right, guys, this it's is thirty-two. I can't. Word. All right, guys. All right, hip hop heads. <laughs> this is let your voice be heard right here on WHCR ninety point three FM, the voice of, of Harlem. And my name is Selena Hill. That's Stanley with the creepy ad libs. That's not creepy <laughs> at all. That's very attractive. It's not. 
Alyssa's here and we have Jackie here. Before we <laughs> went to break, uh, we were talking about the corruption, the racist courts, and the scathing report that was was released um, about the Chicago Police Department. Um, and, we're, and I know that Jackie had a comment about Illinois politics well, because, you know, for many people in Chicago, this didn't come as a surprise. This is not a surprise to me at all, right, that this is happening. I think that there has been a long history of government corruption in Chicago and in the state of Illinois at the very top level. You know, the governor, there are like very top level political figures from Illinois and Chicago sitting in jail cells, right? Or who have very recently. Um, So this is nothing new. And I think it's something, granted, you know, Chicago's not the capital of Illinois, but in Albany and in New York, we see the same kind of corruption. And perhaps that's why we see the same kind of issues. You know, to quote my favorite musical ever, Hamilton, right? They say the corruption is such an old song that we can sing along in harmony and nowhere is it stronger than in Albany. And I think that's why we see the same sort of issues in this state, right? Because the level of corruption we see at the very top. Um, And so there's no oversight into policing and just governance. Absolutely right. Unfortunately, I'm having a little bit of internet problem at the moment, and it doesn't look like the comment was really... Oh, here we go. So we do have a comment from Laura Lee McMahon, and she said, so basically this reportage is more of the same since I was born, how little the world changes. Right. No, and it's very very sad. Even when I was at that Trump rally a few days ago, one of the things that was being chanted and said amongst us is, why are we still fighting this same battle? It's the same battle that um, Reverend Jesse Jackson was fighting in the 80s, then we have, you know, uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. I mean, it's the same thing. It's a reoccurring issue. And I know some progress is being done. I mean, if you want to look at the, the fact that we even have a report and the fact that this even made the New York Times and we're talking about it here, that is a testament to progress, but it is not enough. And we can't deal with incrementalism when it comes to, you know, problems of this nature and this scale. Well, you have to shift the entire establishment. You have to remove all the people who are there from the top because you know, what, you're, what you're getting is not progress. What you're getting is the establishment giving you a little bit to shut you up and make you feel like change has really happened, but they're still keeping business as usual in the main places, and that's why that's happening. And that's why so many people don't want Hillary there because they feel like she is with that establishment who's going to do business as usual. And like I said, I'm going to keep on saying this. You cannot just make a couple of new rules and have a press conference, and this will all go away. Police will continue to shoot unarmed black people, will continue to fail black and brown people in the court because the whole system is racist. Right. Well, they did um, appoint a new leader in the Chicago Police Department. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and black? people are court. Yes, of oh, course, you already knew that. Um, people are calling for Mayor Rahman Emanuel to resign and to step down because of all the corruption that has been taking place under his administration. And then on top of that, you have the cover ups. Jackie? Yeah, but to point out what Stanley said before, that even if we um, put into place and appoint black leadership into these roles, if the system is broken, like yeah. to the point that you said before, with black police officers yeah. talking about East New York in the way that they have, it doesn't matter, I mean, to a, to a degree, who the leadership is, if they're a person of color or not. If the system is broken, it's going to continue to fail. Just a really quick point. If you're in dirty water, it doesn't matter if you don't swim, you're still in dirty water. Great point. And speaking of corruption um, and and just systematic corruption, things going on, you know, we're talking about Chicago, but we also need to talk about what's been going on here with the NYPD here in New York. So the FBI is currently investigating top NYPD officials and the head of city correction officer unions over allegations that they accepted meals, Super Bowl tickets, 
flights, international trips, etc., from two businessmen in exchange for providing uh, police, uh, like police details for like weddings, jewelry deliveries, um, funerals, amongst other favors. And I mean, the thing is, when it when it this just makes me think of that saying that police aren't here to protect people like us. They're here to protect the upper echelon, the people with money, the people with affluence and influence, the people that do go out to vote even in midterm elections, to tell you the truth. Um, but, you know, they're protecting them, but they're targeting us. Uh, what did you think about this FBI investigation? Also? I mean, like, it really didn't come as a surprise to me on one, you know, you have so much of the, what I'll call, like, there's two types of corruption, right? You have the, let's stop people even though we don't have any reason to stop people and there's, you know, you know there's a quote in, but even you know we're going to say there's no quota even though everybody knows that it's true that's like soft corruption it's you know and then you have like hard corruption like what we would think of as corruption taking handouts uh you know for for political flavors right. or if, even worse there's been some reports that of, of extortion literally police officers extorting businesses out of money in order to tip them off about police investigations into possible illegal activity that is occurring at their businesses. So literally, the police officer coming in and saying, you know, hey, um, the police are investigating you, and you know, so... um, but if uh, if you give us some money, we'll make that investigation go away. You right. know, like that's like that's some real corruption right there. Yeah. On top of the soft corruption of let's stop every black and brown person, regardless of whether we can come up with a reason for doing it. It's yeah. like so blatantly corrupt that you almost assume like they can't actually be able to get away with that, right? Because it's just so like you said, it's it reminds me of the corrupt. police department in the seventies. Right. It's it's like Tammany Hall. It's like I'm going to pay you off, and you're going to do all these things that I want, and it's going to be this like political machine that's totally corrupt and insane and so we're starting to discover that maybe this is what's happening you know really to no one's surprise in new york city yeah i'm not surprised at all and now these these officers we're talking about are probably some of the better paid officers but police officers in general don't get paid very well no, to be outside don't. risking their no. lives and i'm talking to risking their lives and put you know just putting their health in danger every single day they get paid crap so you know what? I'm not very much surprised when someone says, I'll throw you an extra $400 if mm-hmm. you look the other way when I have a couple of underage people in my in my club. Or let me know if you, got, if you guys are going to do a sting operation. And, I'm not surprised. And, and to the, that end of police officers not being paid as well, how do you make more money? Well, you generate overtime. How do you generate overtime? Stop and arrest a lot of people that you can't really come up with a reason for why you're stopping and arresting them. Why? Yep. Because let's say your shift ends at 6 in the morning. Yep. At 5.30, if you make an arrest, guess what? Your shift isn't ending at 6. Your yep. shift is probably going to end at noon. You're going to continue to work until that arrest is processed. Yep. The person's brought downtown. You meet with the DA for the initial meeting. So now you just logged six or seven hours of overtime that you're getting paid time and a half. So yep. that gives a perverse incentive. And you know what? I'm the first person to say pay the police more money. And a lot of people in the police reform movement will disagree with that. But I have a, a, a large feeling that a lot of times some of the illegal stops and frisks and arrests that we see are due to the fact that these police officers are like, 
I need some extra money. I know I could get it, but if I could get some overtime, so you know what, I'm going to make this arrest uh, even if it gets thrown out later on because that will help my pocket. So you know what, maybe if we were paying police officers more, they'd have less of an incentive of to make an extra arrest in order to get that overtime because they'd be making a decent livable salary as it was. Right, and we are wrapping up the discussion now. Um, before we talk about the solutions, I just wanted to bring up, you know, that, that's an excellent point. Um, the fact that, like, how this works systematically and how police officers officers are almost like victims of this larger system themselves when it comes to how they're going to pay their rent, how they're going to fill their quotas, um, etc. And the, the thing is, when it comes to people that they're, they're arresting, right, if you're arresting someone at 5 a.m. for falling asleep on the A-train um, because they took up two seats mm-hmm. and that person, why is it always that person, black, brown, from an underprivileged neighborhood? Because like, they're that's the least the likely to complain about it. Well, there, there you have it right there. Well, I do want to, you know, just take that and just talk about some of the solutions. I know when we talk about police reform here and Let Your Voice Be Heard, one of the biggest things we're always advocating and pushing for is community policing. And be um, friends with Alyssa. Well, and get a lawyer like Alyssa. Yeah, but people but say community policing and they have no policy that they've come up with. Like, community policing sounds like a fluffy, nice term, but, like, what are you talking about when you mean community yeah, policing? What they're doing Can you define policing. it? Right, exactly. Right. Like, there's 17 different versions of community policing. So when we say we need community policing, we need somebody to come out there with a plan and tell us what exactly that is. Because community policing could be just as bad as the policing we have now if it's not done the right way. I can tell you what I'd like to see happen. Um, yeah, tell us. So what I'd like to see happen is in all the community board offices, a list of all the officers who work a certain neighborhood with their photos, their badge numbers, and their superiors listed there. Yeah. Um, police officers coming to community board meetings and tenant association meetings. People having easy access to this information or a port of activity that's happened in that neighborhood. And also, if there is a complaint on an officer, the officer is taken off of the beat immediately until you find out what happened. Well, that's never going to yeah. happen because right. of the union. But what well, I will say well, is, and this is very unpopular, is that officers should police the neighborhoods where they come from. Like, no offense to people that I knew that I grew up with that are from Long Island. If you're from Long Island, if you're from Westchester, if you're from Putnam, if you grew up or you live anywhere outside of New York City, you should be not able to commute into the city to be a police officer right. and then go home to your nice white suburban home at the end of the night. And you want to be a police officer in New York City, you better live in New and York City. let me city. tell you something. If you work in city council, that is the law. You have to live in New York City, but it's not the law for teachers and for police officers and for the FDNY, which I don't really understand. Maybe the FDNY, whatever. But like, if you're policing a community, you should live in the community. And I think that Alyssa brought up a really great point earlier with judges that know the community and give out sentences based on what they understand um, to be problems in the community. And I think that if you have more compassion for the people that you're helping to police and keep safe, then you're going to do a better job of it. My ideal and vision when it comes to community policing is having Officer Joe and Officer Brown live in the neighborhood, talk to the kids on the street, know them by first and last name, know their parents, and be, and can say, like, you know what, Miss Johnson, your son cut class, and, you know, I, I caught him doing this and so-and-so. And I think that, you know, when when we develop a sense of empathy, when we get involved in these communities and we develop real connections, we'll see that, you know, we have more similarities than differences. And once you understand that, you break down that barrier of fear. And once you don't fear the other and look at them as other, you'll be less quick to point a gun at their face or their chest when you think that they may be a, a, a potential threat. 
And I think that that's when it comes to at the heart of the matter. It's about developing a sense of community and empathy and having police officers feel like they're in my community to protect me and they know me and they're not just there to profile me at the end of the month. Absolutely. And on that note, we do have to wrap this segment up. I want to just say thank you for everyone who's been listening. After this break, Alyssa will be coming back with the quickie all about Texas versus Obama. Stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I'm sorry if I... 